Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. Uh, as you can tell by the video intro, we've been taken over by a bad idea once again. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show for the first time as a bad idea creator. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the first interview as a bad idea creator. Definitely. I mean, I don't even know if I've been on here ever. <laughs> well, no, you, I mean, you've been on our, you've been on our show. We've talked to, well, it's Joshua Dysart, everybody. If you didn't recognize him, didn't recognize the voice, if you're just listening, uh, if you're on YouTube checking us out and you've never seen his face, look at that handsome devil. Look at, look at him. We have to acknowledge this zit that I have. Look at this. That just, I really, that just means you're human, man. I'm, I'm, and youthful, <laughs> youthful. still getting zits at 50 years old. I, I really went after it too, as you can tell. I, I didn't, uh, no, no, yeah, the big, no, the, no mercy. The big 5 0, that just happened recently, right? It has not happened yet. June 21st, longest 21st. day of the year. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So, actually, wait a second. Let me just check my calendar. Wait, that's Sunday, right? Yes. Yes, it's that, happening. So that is the day, that is the day that this is going out. So everybody, if you're <gasps> listening to this, on it's the on my fiftieth birthday. I've been it's, saying I've been fifty since I was forty-eight, though. <laughs> to, to be quite fair, that's my. So that's everybody, my jam. Uh, pause the video or pause the the audio, whatever you're listening. Jump on Twitter. Wish Josh a happy fiftieth. Um, and sing my ass happy birthday. That's right. And I, I will also say, and I firmly believe this. That age is just a number, and you're only as old as you feel. And you, yeah, Josh, you are a very youthful man, I must say. Oh, awesome. Uh, there are parts of me that feel 50. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, but I appreciate well, you saying that. There's parts of me that feel 100, but uh, <laughs> you still have the, the verve and, and the energy. So I love it. First, first time uh, doing an interview as a Bad Idea Creator. First time talking about your project. Yes. Um, Dude, it just um, they just announced it today. Yeah, it's like as a whole we're recording thing. this, everybody, uh, on the 17th, Bad Idea just announced all the books that are coming. Uh, the final five, hashtag final five. Hope you all got your final five sticker. Hope you pre-ordered. You're going to want that sticker if you're able to, to grab one. Um, now, in the interest of full disclosure, Josh and I, uh, I think we talked about this at dinner, I want to say like 2018, maybe it was 2019, WonderCon. Mm-hmm. That makes um, sense. Yeah. So it's been in the works for a while and I, I want to dig into it as much as we can. Obviously we don't want to spoil, uh, but before we get to that, why don't you give everybody kind of the elevator pitch? What is, what is Odin's eye to you? What is the story all about? You know, well, first of all, I have to say this is the very first conversation I've had in public about it. So if my messaging is a little weird and rusty on this thing, I, I don't really know. I've never really given the elevator pitch before. Um, so this this is the first time for it. So let's roll. So basically, uh, in, in a Norse culture in the sixth century, a little girl with... Um, uh, with who has a seizure disorder, who is prone to having seizures, uh, is believes that she's receiving um, messages from Wodan, and this should be called Wodan's eye, but uh, I lost that battle with the editorial. So she's receiving messages from what what is Odin in the old spelling, the oldest spelling of Odin, and. Um, uh, and the village eventually comes around to believing her, and she is sent on a quest 
to discover what exactly her mission is. And by the end of the first issue, not to spoil anything, but she comes to believe, comes to realize that her mission is to acquire the eye that Odin, Odin gave up um, uh, for either wisdom or poetry, depending on the translation you're interested in. Uh, and so it's now she's got to find a way to go from the realm of mortals and travel to find Odin's eye. Um, that's the high elevator pitch, but frankly, the book is something else entirely. But I, I'll leave that for readers to discover. But that's, yeah, that's the way we get you in the Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm very, uh, what I'm very curious about because in seeing some of the art that you showed me um, and, and, and just the feel of it, uh, obviously a lot of roots in, in you know, North myth, uh, mythology with, you know, Odin and the, and the eye and what have you, but I very much got this sort of Western feel, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, um, there's a lot of Sergio Leone on my right. personal soundtrack. Yeah. Of, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, things like dirty dozen, like, like getting together a group to go on a quest and, and trying to, to solve it. And that, that sense of independence that the American West sort of, you know, in, in, engenders in people which I, to me is so disparate from the idea of North, you know, and Northern mythology where everything is sort of about togetherness. And, and so, I mean, is that something that you were looking to explore? Was it just your different influences coming together? Like talk to us about like coming up with this idea of the story and, and what has influenced it. I mean, long time coming, you've been working on this for a long time. Yeah, man. Well, and we got the last issue, the last script like done and in the can by 2019. So it has been a qu quite some time. Um, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not really one to speak on this too much. I'm not super educated on this, but I think you could make an argument that Western individualism is definitely found in Norse culture. Mm. Um, but we don't know a whole lot about about this period of, of Norse history, right? Um, th this is uh, about 536 uh, AD. So there, we don't really have a very firm grasp or firm understanding of exactly what this culture was. Well, we would, by any modern standards, what we would call the Vikings, which is a little bit of a misnomer. Uh, I, my understanding is that Viking is more of a verb than a noun, but, um, but that culture that we identify as that in a modern sense, that's like 200 years after our story is taking place. So this is, for lack of a better term, this is a proto-Viking or a pre-Viking culture. And we don't know a whole lot about their faith system. Uh, we don't even know if, if, if it was a faith system. We do know that they, their stories come out of the same tradition as the Indo-European migration. So there's this, um, uh, a, a, there's a series of stories that depending on the sociologists you read, whether they're religions or, or they're something else entirely that we don't fully grasp their relationship to these stories, but they come out of this Indo-European migration out of South Asia. And they tend to have a world tree. They tend to have a one-eyed father who is nailed to that tree. Uh, you know, um, and you can call that person um, an all-father. You can, you, uh, you, you know, you can, 
you know, Lord of, I mean, there's a thousand names for, for this person. So that's, we have a lot of gray area to work with, right? And this is not answering your question about the Western versus what we perceive as Norse mythology, but this is something that's really interesting to me. So we have a lot of gray area to work with in this belief system. We have a, uh, we don't really approach it the same way. I think traditional attacks on Norse mythology do. And because we have this open, um, ended, uh, world to work in. And because we we're, we don't feel that bound to any historical or to much historical accuracy, uh, it really does allow us to transpose our favorite tropes about the quest and, and the indiv and individualism onto these things. And that's where this very um, almost really, to be frank, uh, either, a, either a John Ford or maybe even a like um, a spaghetti Western idea of the, of, of the big, broad, open quest comes in. And because she is a, a person, a real, you know, a, a human being, her attempts to enter into the, the uh, realms of, of gods um, are, it, it's difficult. So it's a very human quest. And then slowly, 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 we change that tone. But what you have seen is art from the very first um, issue. And that is it, that issue is very much couched in sort of almost a, a like a historical drama as opposed to a, um, a fantasy epic. Um, but it gets there, I promise. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just kind of wandered around your question. No, no, I, I, I get exactly what you're saying. Um, so let me kind of just, you know, to put put a, a period on the sentence, choosing to to go to this place, choosing to go to this world where there's gray area, which I know you love to live in the gray area because it's so interesting to explore and it gives you a lot of freedom creatively, creatively, creatively. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to creatively. Say. Yeah, I, I like even, that. I haven't even had much of my whistle pig yet. Uh, but you're you <laughs> you drinking and I am not that <laughs> that's, should, that's we great. should correct that somehow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, is that, is that what made you choose to go to this, this time period, just your interest in it and knowing that creatively it gave you the, the freedom to tell the story you wanted to tell, or was there something else uh, involved in that decision? Well, I'll be really honest. Uh, the, 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 the time period was brought was brought to me by Warren. You know, I, I did not I do not think the world needed another Norse mythology story. <laughs> I love Norse mythology, but look, man, everything from J.R. Tolkien to Game of Thrones, the whole Western fantasy canon is 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 Norse mythology. That's all it is. And um, uh, I just didn't I didn't necessarily I wasn't thrilled to play in that environment and like so many times when i worked with warren um he he makes he drags me into a place where i don't instinctually want to go and then i get there and then it gets really really interesting because i work so hard to find out a way to make it fresh for me personally you know right. so that's why i think that even though we're probably one of a multitude of books about uh, Norse culture and Norse mythology that will drop um, this year, uh, I, I, I do think that we have a unique and fresh lens on it, like a new take on it. Um, so, yeah. So, so to answer your question, you know, it, 
it's an old process for Warren and I, right? Warren comes at me and he says, I think it would be cool if we did something like this. And I'm like, I don't know, (laughs) but he's the editor and he wins. And then I start working on it. And then I get intellectually turned on by some new take or some new spin that we can do. So that's how we got here. Yeah. And I, I do want to talk a little bit about the way you work, talk about your, your process. I'm curious if it's changed at all, uh, if you've managed to become more efficient. I know you, you, you sort of cur- cur- curse, your, curse your own process. I've heard you talk about it so many times, just, you know, vomiting out all this stuff. And then it comes to got to cut, 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 cut. And, and, but here's the thing about, and part of what I love about your work and, um, and what I think makes it so special and makes it stand out is you absorb so much creative content, um, whether it's, you know, a lot of film books, uh, you know, TV shows and just you absorb comics, life experience, you know, you're, you're very um, active and involved. And um, I think you pull all that in. And then when you go to create, you're in a, in a way you're, you're, you've taken all that in and you've sort of processed it subconsciously. And then you kind of, you know, put it all out there and then do the pruning, kind of like a bonsai tree, right? Like, yes. And then you've got to, so was it any easier this time? I mean, are how are you getting faster or is it still just uh got to put in the work this was not this was not only not easier this time this is one of the hardest things that we have done and i think it's because this was my first time to work directly with warren in a long time this was my first book after the the valiant stuff i had done um you know i had done good night paradise But when I came into making this book, I had already, before we decided on the subject matter or anything, I decided I wanted to do something really big and really epic. It had been a while. I didn't know how long it was going to be. Now, here we are in 2021, and I haven't dropped a book since 2018. I did not expect it to go that long. But I did, I had already felt when we started Odin's Eye that it had been a long time since I dropped a book, and I didn't want to drop something that was by the numbers or that just did what the pitch, you know, what the elevator pitch said it should do. I really wanted to flex my concepts of storytelling. And what that led us to was a a very arduous um, process um, of, of trying to figure out what this book was, was supposed to be. What's it, what, its voice is supposed to be. But I think that it is probably one of the most literary and and thematically dense books that I've ever done um, because of of that. But honestly, the next book I did for Bad Idea, which hasn't been announced yet, um, that book came way more easily. Like I got this out of my system, but this was the book that was, um, if I can use like scatological uh metaphor here this was the book that was hard to pass you know uh it didn't come out easily (laughs) this was the book that stretched yeah well i mean i'm gonna say it stretched my asshole yeah exactly uh well yeah (laughs) and 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 unfortunately since bad ideas coming to an end maybe we maybe we'll see your other project maybe not i guess oh yeah i forgot about yes the wait and see shit This is why Dinesh never wants me. We should just cut that out. That uh, that book will probably be published somewhere else, some other way. Yeah, sure. Maybe you can crowdfund it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, so let's talk a little bit more about what a challenge this this one was. Um, 
in because I, I get what you're saying, you know, uh, and it's part of, I think, what I want to talk about in a little bit in terms of coming to bad idea and having more freedom. Because, I mean, you guys built the the rebuilt, I'll, I'll say, rebuilt the universe at, at Valiant. And you certainly had a big hand in that with Toyo Harada and Harbinger and what have you. Um, and there was a lot of freedom, but I think not the way, I mean, you owed nothing here to, to anything, right? Like you didn't, you could, other than, hey, pull from Norse mythology, you could tell any story you wanted. So, you know, no, no, you know, I mean, Valiant didn't have a lot, but there were certain rules and limitations and, you know, being true to the universe or what have you, but here yeah. it, it wasn't that. So, you know, in having that challenge of, of wanting to figure out, okay, what is the book going to be? Um, how do we get there? How do we make it epic? In terms of your actual process, like, was it the same? Was it just going to, you know, a coffee shop or, or whatever? And just, well, I guess you couldn't, well, you, you finished before the pandemic. So yeah, that, yeah. We finished this book before. Yeah. yeah. So, so was it just that same process though, of just getting the story down and then pruning, or did you go about it a different way this time with different framework and working so closely with Warren? So the first thing you were talking about are, were the inherent limitations of the of like working inside of the Valiant universe. Right. And you are correct when you say that those limitations were never, they never felt like imposed by editorial. They were more personal limitations that we just understood. I mean, occasionally editorial would impose some sort of um, like a, a, a marketing gimmick that would impact the narrative, but we understood. And also, um, you know, it was much, e honestly, it was much easier to create a Valiant book because we understood what we, we were doing there. We had a previous template, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Shooter in, in Latham in, the, in regards to Harbinger, Shooter and Latham had laid out a groundwork and some of that groundwork was dated and needed to be tossed out. And some of it was amazing and needed to be elevated um, or, or, or just left alone. And right. so, and, and we knew the audience, you know, that um, there was already an audience for those Valiant books. So serving that audience wasn't very difficult. We just had to kind of look, see what they liked, you know, and then we had a personal idea about what these books should be. You know, um, they are, they, we didn't, we may have bucked a few superhero trends, but we still wanted to make great superhero comics, right. you know, in, in our way. But Odin's Eye was, uh, was um, there was no, it could be, like you said, it could be absolutely anything that we wanted it to be. And so- I think as a creator, that would be a little intimidating. Like, oh, it's, it's like terrifying. Staring, staring at that blank page. Okay, now what? Yeah, I mean, that that's a huge part of what the struggle was, right? Was like, I wanted it to be really good. And I was at a place in my life, you know, talk about turning 50. I, I really do believe, and um, I really do believe that I had, a, I had my own kind of midlife crisis at the time we were making this book, that I wanted to do something really, really important and interesting and different than anything I'd done before. I didn't want to do anything I'd done before. I didn't want to do the social realism comics. I didn't want to do superhero comics. And, um, so I think I was in the middle of a midlife crisis. And so that didn't help either, right? Because instead of buying like a Corvette and trying to, to like date a horrible person half my age, I, I instead put it all into, I'm going to make, this is going to be my greatest work. And that is uh, not pressure you should put on yourself. Right. You know, it was a very, very difficult thing. So yeah, so that all played into it a great deal. It was so, to answer your question, it was much easier 
to make those Valiant comics and it was to make this, this comic. Oh, but you also had another part of your question about the process, about the pruning and everything. Yeah. Uh, I, I still do that. I don't know how not to do it. I'm more of a sculptor in many ways at, at parts of my process than anything else. Um, a sculptor has to bring in the stone into their studio and it's this big hulking um, <clears throat> massive stone and then they have to start picking at it until they find the shape that they want or, or that, they, that the stone speaks to them or whatever. And, um, and for me, all these concepts and ideas that I have and they can be uh, conflicting. Um, they conflict, conflict with one another. I mean, they can be, you know, have no place in this kind of narrative. I mean, there's just a huge load of a conceptual load that I, I drop and that's me bringing the rock in. And then I have to start the very arduous process of like whittling it down into something. And uh, you know, that that's why my stuff is always so dense. And I, I, I don't know if din I don't mean to that dense is better. I don't think it is honestly, but that's just uh, what that's just, I, I don't know. I don't know how else to write comic books. Do you I haven't figured out another way. Uh, it's so interesting too, because your, your process to me, feels more like uh, what I hear artists talk about, especially mm. artists that are very detailed, like um, like a Gary Frank or a, a Liam Sharp. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. Liam, I talk to him all the time and he'll talk about sometimes, especially digitally, he, he's sometimes, yeah, now that I'm working digitally, I'll, I have to be careful because now I can zoom in and go and mm -hmm. just lose myself in the details for two hours. And then by the time it's printed, it's you're not even going to see that. So why am I wasting my time. I could totally see Liam doing that too. Yeah. You can look at his art and see that yeah. that's a tendency in him. Yeah, exactly. And so his whole thing, and, and I hear this from other artists too, it's like, okay, when, when do I say enough is enough and stop fiddling with it? Your, your writing process seems to be kind of similar. Do you ever face that challenge? Like, and is that where Warren steps in as editor and says, okay, this is, has to be good enough. We, we need to move on. Yeah, I mean, deadlines are really, really important. And one of the reasons why you haven't seen a lot of creator-owned work from me is a, is a lack of belief in myself, to be honest, um, uh, fear and self-doubt. But also because um, if I don't have an, a, a deadline or an editor, uh, then I can be really, um, yeah, I, I can really obsess on minutiae. I'm getting to a point now where I'm starting to find people that I am you know, that I would like to employ to play the part that Warren plays when we make comics at that idea or Valiant or wherever else we'll go over the course of our uh, collaborative relationship. But yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Warren is the one that says, look, you got to turn this in. Warren is the one that provides the deadlines. I always miss a deadline, but I come pretty close to it, more or less, like I have a deadline tomorrow. And Warren doesn't know that that's not happening, you know? So, uh, um, but yeah, that's what it is. Otherwise, I mean, I'm a, I'm a novelist at heart, you know? I mean, everything would be, would be a thousand pages. Right. Everything is war. Everything is war and peace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And what a pretentious, I mean, what a pretentious way to be. It's like terrible. That would just be fantastic. I mean, if, if bad idea wasn't ending though, that would just be awesome. Like just to spring it on retailers, they order the book and it shows up and it's like, 1200 pages <laughs> man it would be so amazing I, I so envy like um you know i really love if you if you look at my book you can't really tell from this angle but most of the comics these are all comics behind me most of the comics in my life are these just huge epic voluminous you yeah. know uh that's what i love i i don't really 
never was much of a pamphlet kid, you know. Well, uh, I, you know, you did mention that I, I got to see some art from the from the first uh, the first issue, and and you talked about wanting to do something different than you've ever done before, and I very much got you know with the limited uh, little amount that I saw, I very much did get that feel. It's cool. One of the first thoughts that struck me is like, this looks so different than anything Josh has, has done before. You know, you mentioned the music and you do get that sort of Western feel. And then with the description about maybe some, some influence from, from Western. And we also saw the words, uh, is it a five, five issue battle hymn? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, uh, poetry was a, is a, a big part of the way that Norse culture, um, uh, I mean, this came later, but we're not being super historically accurate with our book. So, so we're not too worried about it, but poetry and, and meter was a big part of the way the Norse people uh, told their stories. So that's a, that's, you know, that's a cultural thing. Yeah. Well, but the other part of it is that it looks so action packed to me and not to say that some of your stuff, especially Imperium, what wasn't filled with action. Um, mm. Life and Death of Toyo Harada as well, but you really, it really feels like from, from what I've seen of, of this story, you're elevating that, but I, but I know you, Josh, there's gotta be, and, and that's great. Uh, we're all for action. <laughs> I know you, there's gotta be some theme. There's gotta be some idea, some underline and maybe maybe you want people to figure it out for yourself and that that's perfectly fine if that's how oh no it. i'll talk about theme all day there's got there, yeah there's got to be something and obviously i haven't read any of it so i don't know what it is that that's there to be explored but you said yourself earlier you know warren bringing you this idea and you weren't sure about you know do, do we need another you know comic about norse mythology but then you found some you found something there yeah. Interested you. So talk a little bit about some of the things that if you want that, that you are going to explore and you don't have to give it all away because sure. I'm going to read it and then make you come back on and talk to me for two more hours. About <laughs> what, I, what I got out of it. Uh, but talk a little bit about some of the things that you, you, you know, hope to start a dialogue about with, mm -hmm. with the readers, whether that's a, an actual dialogue like you and I, or whether it's an internal dialogue for those that are reading it. I mean, I, look, you know, it was, it's always exciting to see what other people think of your work, but I am, um, you know, a solipsistic asshole. So I'm going to tell you what I think of my work <laughs> first. Um, to me, the book is about, um, it's about reality and belief and about how um, the latter belief impacts and changes the former reality. And so that's really what it was about. And when I started to do research into, you know, because, um, you know, Warren was interested in a, in a Viking book and, and I started to do research into Norse mythology and saw that we have a little bit of a better understanding of uh, the Vikings. And again, I'm using that word in the most modern sense. I'm sure there's someone who knows a lot about this history who see, who can tell that I'm misusing this term, but we all know what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about that period from about, uh, you know, ninth century to, uh, let's say, you know, 12th century or whatever, where Norse pirates, uh, basically changed the politics and the landscape of, of a lot of regions around, uh, Europe. Um, and so because of that, because there's so much interaction uh, between the Viking culture and other cultures at that time, we have a 
relatively strong understanding of how they viewed um, Odin, you know, how, of their belief systems, right. if, if we could call them that. Um, I became really interested in proto-belief systems, uh, that, that point before we know anything about what they believed. And so once I started messing around in that space, um, it, then I, 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 you know, I grew up uh, religious. Uh, I was raised, um, uh, I was born a, and baptized a Catholic and then raised um, <clears throat> in a like white Southern Baptist culture. And uh, now I identify as, as an atheist, but I, I find belief and faith in, in the inherent human need for spirituality really, really, really fascinating. And I find the way that the things that we believe for better or for worse, how they make the world around us really, really, really interesting. And, um, you know, whether you believe that God is real or not, God is real because so many people believe in it <laughs> and it impacts culture and it impacts society. And um, so those are all, once I began to realize we were working in sort of um, a really nebulous space about what a people a culture believed and how they enacted those beliefs, then I got really, really interested. So that's what it, it really is a story about belief and about how belief changes um, reality. Yeah, I think it's completely fascinating too. You talk about, okay, whether God as a supernatural being exists or not, and we, you know, we can debate that all day. Sure. People do, but mm. in terms of God as a concept, 100% exists. You can't argue that. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, as does as does all kinds of um, right. uh, you know, for lack of a better term, like deity right. notions or deist notions. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting, and you wrote this long before the the madness that was 2020, mm -hmm. is you talk about you know you're talking about belief in in terms of believing something that's larger than ourselves and how it does impact you know in faith systems and you know I mean. You, the argument could be made that the concept of a Christian God has caused more harm in this world than it. You know, you talk about war started crusades, mm -hmm. you know, uh, just mm -hmm. the horrors committed in his name. Um, but you can also look at what has happened politically and societally in this country in terms of what people believe, whether it's real or not, and how that impacts. And so yes. there's so many layers when you start talking about belief. And I mean, let's face it, belief is something that is in a way hard to define because it's not, it's not something that's concrete. It's not something that's solid and it, different people think of it in different ways and people have different beliefs. So it's something that's so nebulous and hard to nail down. And yet it does have so many real world consequences, whether that be sending people on a crusade in the middle ages or people choosing not to get a vaccine because they think it magnetizes you. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, yeah. we're talking about a really big concept. Do you, did you do, are, should we expect any answers or do you think that it's important uh, in this book just to start the conversation? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I don't, it seems like lately and, you know, readers haven't seen it yet, but they will over the course of multiple projects um, as time goes on and things become released, you know. Uh, I think people will find more and more me creating fictions where, um, where, where some kind of God or some kind of 
uh, uh, belief is real. And it's not because I believe that it's because uh, I, I've just gotten to a place where I want to, I want to manifest something, you know, out there. And so, um, and so, yeah, so this story is going to be about that. Like everything else I write, it's like, not just about the characters going through their own struggle with what they believe and what is real and what is not real. Uh, in the guise of a massive fantasy book. Let's, let's not, I don't want to undersell this. This book is the closest thing to uh, epic fantasy that I've, I've ever written. And it owes a lot to um, uh, early 20th century pulp stuff. It owes a lot to Conan the Barbarian. It owes a lot to John Carter of Mars. It owes, right. But at the same time, it's sort of about me trying to create a world in which, and I think fantasy narratives are great for this, a world in which there is a God or there is something. And, um, and that's comforting and it's interesting and uh, it's maybe less somehow chaotic, I guess. Um, and fantasy narratives lend themselves to that. They're filled with gods and who are real and all this stuff. So, so that's really kind of what interested me when, when Morn and I decided we were going to start writing a fantasy book together was, um, you know, uh, oh, well, uh, more than any other uh, genre, fantasy allows us to make God real. And what is that like? You know, so I, I, I think I, I forget your question. <laughs> well, just, <laughs> but just in terms of we're, uh, you know, we're talking about exploring these ideas and starting the conversation. Are, 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 do you feel that the book provides answers or you think? Oh, right. Conversation. No, I never provide any answers. I don't know the answers. How am I supposed to put them in the comic book? I mean, that—that that is the question. I, that is the question I was answering. I thought I wandered off in a tangent, but in fact, I mean, I, I you know, I don't want to. I don't want to say any. I want the readers to have their own experience with the book right. and to come away from the book believing their own concepts and ideas. I will never ever, or I, let let's not say that I will try my best to never be didactic and preachy, uh, but I've probably failed at that before. Um, but, uh, um, but there will always be a, uh, there will always be a mystery. There will always be space for the reader to believe what they want to believe. So in that regard, there are, there aren't answers. Um, however, this is, these, this new turn in my work towards trying to create a god or gods in my work, that, that, that's closer to giving answers than I probably ever have before. And also in finding that to be like a, a, a kind of a way towards a happy ending. Oh, God's real. Cool. Happy ending. <laughs> happy Is ending. Nice book? Are, you, are you crazy? No, no. This, I, well, I, I'm already saying too much. No, but I, I, I love that because I, it's, it's funny to hear. So, so, you know, because you're the, the creator and these are your stories from a reader standpoint, I always feel like, no, you're not, you're not telling us what you think, what you think the answer is, but I always feel like you lead us down the path to where anybody with a half a brain in their head would realize the answer is sort of self-evident. At least in Well, some that's, yeah, that's really interesting because I don't know the answers. Like I, I feel, I, I hope that I, what I've tried to do in, in the work is ask really interesting questions. Um, and then, and then sort of like, see how it plays out, but I don't really, I don't know. I don't know anything, you know, maybe I shouldn't say that you 
you lead us to the answer so much as you lead us to the awareness of the fact that we need to change and find the answer. Yeah. Yeah. I always go back to, for you, for me, your work, Toyo is always where, you know, what I think is the best thing you've ever done because of all the reasons we've talked about, we're not going to rehash them here Mm because we'll go on forever, but just that idea, you know, of the haves and the have nots and you know, it, there's so much work that still needs to be done. And somehow starting that story in 2012, it somehow has become more relevant than ever in the last couple of years. You know, I, I, I guess we talked about that, you know, uh, for people watching this, Jason, and I had dinner a few weeks ago and I, we talked about this, you know, I, I don't think, I think I could write Toyo Harada forever. I mean, I, there's always a new, always a new, uh, there's always a new struggle and problem with democracy. There's always a new struggle and problem with anti-democracy. And, um, and there's, you know, in this, and, and Toya Harada can embody so many beautiful and ugly things about humanity, um, about uh, wealth, you know, class, um, uh, and power structures in general that, that, that it would never get old writing Toyo Harada it would never get old. So uh, yeah. Yeah. they had to, they had to rip him from my, from my <laughs> grasp. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm very curious to see as you move on to, into this new, new phase of your career, I, I'm very curious to see, because I have a feeling a lot of those things are, they're going to be there subtextually. I think that you can't help yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are the things I'm fascinated with and it's in me and, and, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I want to be a writer who like, I mean, the audience, I work hard to make sure the audience has a good time, but they're kind of secondary. I mean, in a way, the first person I'm doing this for is myself. I'm trying to reveal myself to myself. So if I'm off just writing something that isn't, um, isn't like pouring out of me, like in a passionate way, then what am I learning about myself? You know? Right. So I, I, you know, I'm on the, I'm in the back half of my life now. I got to learn some shit about myself. So, um, uh, yeah, so it will always be that way. But I do think that, um, I'm, I, I do think I'm going to be submerging this stuff a little bit deeper into the work going more into genre, you know, I really love doing that social realism stuff like Goodnight Paradise and Unknown Soldier and, you know, the, the World Food Program stories, which by the way, you know, WP, WFP won the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Um, so being a part of that was exciting, even though the w, the Nobel Peace Prize has been given to a lot of assholes. But um, uh, so I really love that stuff and I might get back to it eventually because I, 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 I like real world stories, but, um, but for the time being, I'm going to start looking more to genre. And I think it's, I'm getting older and I'm looking back at the things that really excited, uh, like 14 year old Josh. And I'm wondering if there's a way that 50 year old Josh and 14 year old Josh can hang out and make comic books together. So I'm getting better at that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm all for it. And like I said, the first time I saw this art, I'm like, well, this is something different. Um, and I yeah. can't, I can't wait to check it out. Cause that'll be the fun, right. Is as a reader, enjoying the story, going along, checking it out at that surface level and then finding what themes you wanted to ex- explore. And now we're going to have a third level mm-hmm. uh, with the subtextual stuff where I'm going to look and kind of read in, and then we'll have something else interesting to talk about. 
Um, the whole cool. idea of, of pulling from, you know, all these different uh, inspirations and, you know, you mentioned Conan and, uh, you know, you can't talk about fantasy without talking about Tolkien um, and this idea of this big quest and bringing people together, uh, you know, whether it's the Dirty Dozen, Sergio Leone, or whether it's the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, and that's another thing that I think your, your fans, people that love your work, really enjoy. You know, you did it in Harbinger, you did it in Imperium. And that's, you know, bringing these ensemble characters together around a central character and making them quirky and making them unique and then playing with the character dynamics and how they interact with the, the main character and how they interact with each other. Um, so can you give us any clues to some of these other uh, supporting characters that we're going to have on Solveig? Is that how you help pronounce her? Uh, Solvi, I believe, is the pronunciation, Solvig. but yeah. maybe we'll have... Um... Maybe we'll have a Nordic, Nordic person correct us, <laughs> but I believe it's Solve or Solve. I think it's, yeah, yeah I believe. Um, so, uh, well, first of all, let me say, um, I love building teams and, and that, that more than almost anything else, that might be the real influence of m me reading comics as a young person. You know, I love making characters um, whether they're realistic characters or hyper-realistic characters or pulp characters, I love making them and I love Im imbibing them with um, real human traits to the best of my abilities. And then, um, but I can never really shake off the idea of the team coming together. Really? You know, I just love it. I just, I just love it. I love it when it happens in movies. I love it in comics. I just love the, I love the team coming together. And this, and it's really interesting that you say that, and I really want the book to be a surprise for people. And, um, you know, I don't want to talk about a lot of stuff, but this book is a real, it plays a different hand than what you're being sold. And it, it's not what it, what it walks and talks like in the beginning. And, and, um, and this idea uh, of building a team is going to be a kind of re- Occurring, evolving thing inside of the book, and I know that's super vague, but I want it. I, you know, I want it to be surprising. Um, so, to that end, I'll, I will talk about the people that you will meet in issue one, and um, and and the roles that they'll ostensibly serve at that point. Uh, you'll meet uh, Solvi, this Solve, this this uh, a young girl who's prone to um, prone to seizures and prone to visions and prone to um, a real belief in things that uh, that maybe other people only have kind of a passing belief to, a bit of a fanatic perhaps. Uh, you'll meet the, um, uh, you'll meet the, the, you know, steadfast warrior who's been assigned by the local chieftain to protect her and take her north. Um, you'll meet the, uh, the vulva or the, the for lack of a better term, let's call her a witch for now, the, um, who will, uh, who sees in her belief um, and is either manipulating her uh, for her own gain. Um, maybe, you know, what, what this character, her name is Valletta, which is a very old name. There's a long line of, in history, uh, there's a long line of, um, uh, for lack of a better term, a uh, kind of Norse 
uh, witches or I mean, witches is not the right word. They're, they're women of great power with tremendous influence in the community. And Valletta has a long line of that uh, throughout history. Um, and, and so these are kind of, this is kind of our, our, our trio, right? That will go north, uh, further north because <laughs> they live in the north. And, um, and they will be surrounded by a, you know, a group of warriors assigned by the chieftain to travel north and protect this little girl, this fragile thing. And the further north they go, the more, um, the more civilization as they understand it falls away and the more surreal and, and different the world becomes and the less reality and grounding exists. And in this way, I'm also very influenced by, um, uh, going after Cacciato, which is written by uh, Tim O'Brien, which is a novel about the Vietnam War that starts in a very realistic place and then becomes more and more surreal as they take a journey. And uh, it's always been a really big work for me. And so uh, I'm sort of leaning on that for that aspect of the narrative. But those three characters, the warrior, the witch, and the seer, the child seer, um, and the warriors that are, are protect them, those are... Um, that's a stepping stone to something else. So, yeah. And, and when I say something else, I mean new characters, new ideas of allegiances, new concepts in team building. So, yeah. Fantastic. But but you were correct to say the team building is the, that's that, I love it. I love doing it. And it's got that, that epic, that epic feel. Um, yeah. It always feels good to have people come together for a larger task. And I like to draw that out, you know, like um, like in Imperium, uh, having the whole first arc be uh, be a collection of the team, like in, Har in Harbinger, having the whole, you know, having the whole, well, that second arc really being sort of each team member gets a voice. Right. Um, I really, I, I love that. I, I think it's, it's really character driven and that's what's, what makes me happy. We're getting, here's the other thing about it, right? Because it's completely finished um, yeah. and had been for a long time, we're getting it weekly, which I think is amazing. Five issues, 32 pages each, except the first issue was, it's not double size. It's not 64 pages. It's 72 <laughs> pages. That makes me so happy. And I mean, I have to, I, I obviously have to watch what, what I say here. Uh, I don't, I don't want, we have the best. I mean, a lot of people talk a lot of shit about that idea. We have the best marketing team on the planet. I mean, people are people are talking about us because we have the best, craziest, <laughs> right. most like kamikaze marketing team on the planet. So I definitely don't want to undercut anything they have to say. But um, uh, yeah, so, and, I, and there's things I need to figure out with editorial. But basically, yes, that first issue is going to be like 78 pages. Um, it's, it's, it's ostensibly two chapters, two verses in the hymn, uh, as it were in the poem. So, um, it's going to be huge and epic. And that's what I love. I mean, this is the thing I, I'm so, uh, right now comics is in this place where for very viable reasons, uh, for, for just economic pragmatics, we're mostly making very short miniseries. And, um, and I get it. I get it. I mean, I know that I understand why we do that, um, but I just hate it. I, I like epics. I want something to be big. I want a lot of pages. I, I want a lot of story. I want room because, you know, look, when you, when you condense a story, the very first thing you're going to lose are the small moments 
the character moments, right. the glances between people, that's what you lose, you know, uh, so that you can make sure that the plot sticks together. And, and the plot is the least interesting thing to me. The, the small glances between people are the most interesting thing to me. So uh, I like it. I like room to stretch. You know, I, that's how we that's how we make them feel like real people. When we have yeah. room to stretch. Well, yeah, it goes back to what I was saying about your your team building, putting the teams together and the, the interpersonal relationships between those teams and how they relate to each other. And yeah, that is you're right. That's the stuff that falls away to keep the back because, of the story. Yeah, because there's like 99 plots. That's like it. I, yeah. I, I, cha- I mean, I, you'd be even hard pressed to pick 99 original stories that oh. exist. You know, um, so if that's the case, then then why are we so plot obsessed? Why don't we think more about, um, uh, you know, why don't we think more about character? Why don't we think more about uh, like emotion? Why don't we think more? So, yeah. Yeah, I remember taking an English class in college where the professor was, maybe it was seven or nine. He's like, there's only like seven or nine, like true narratives and everything yeah. else is, is built off of that. It's actually a very small number. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, um, Vonnegut has this thing. Uh, you can watch this video on YouTube where Kurt Vonnegut talks about story shapes. And he's like, there's only like four story shapes. Yep. And you go, you know, it's, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything plays off of that. Uh, well, the other way that this book is feeling epic, and if you're watching it on, on YouTube, you'll see it here over my shoulder. You got Thomas Giarella doing the-, the Oh book. my God. Yes. So talk a little bit. Did Like when Warren brought you this idea, do you say, okay, Tom, Thomas is going to do it? Like, when did you know he was on the book? And talk a little bit about the collaboration and, and how his art is just, I mean, it's amazing. I don't even remember the first- uh, that also might have been why it was so hard to write was because sometimes you get you get an artist that's so good and you want to you want to be a you want to be as good as that artist right you want to deserve that artist and b you want to push that artist so that they're drawing things that they love they're happy they're not miserable you you want to make them have fun and um but you want to make sure they're drawing things that are both that they're excellent at, but also that the reader hasn't seen from them yet. It's a really tricky thing and it can really freeze you up. But when I first, when I wrote the one and only script I ever got to write for Richard Corbin, I totally froze up. And, and I had to move like a blind man through that script just to get it done, just to get it in. Because I, I just, I thought, well, I should just, I would rather quit comics than write a script for Richard Corbin. <laughs> so, but I, but I didn't, I stuck with it. And, um, for better or for worse. And, uh, uh, and that's kind of the way you felt about Thomas Jarrell. And I don't really, uh, Tomas, I'm sorry. And I don't really, sorry, Tomas. I don't really know when I knew that Tomas was the artist. I forget now because it's a, it's a while back. Been a while. Um, been a while. But um, I do know that like always I was first, I never am happy ever. So at first I'm like, is this right? Is this what we want to do? Then the pages come in, the first pages come in. And then you're like, oh, well, now I, I'm not good enough. You know, right. now, now it's like, shouldn't this guy be drawing somebody else's book? Like, what, how is this? So, um, so then, it, it, then it becomes harder because you really want to make Tomas happy. And you really want to give Tomas something to draw that he's going to, put all of his love and passion in and that impacts the story. And that's one of the things I don't, I don't mind about comics is like, um, 
And one of the things that makes it so frustrating when you don't know who you're writing for artist wise, because if you know who your artist is, uh, you can really, you can really write to that artist's strengths. And, um, and uh, so that's, yeah. So that's what we, that's what we did. And I, I believe that Tomas is turning in some of the best work of his career. And I wrote this, I wrote at Tomas, I wrote to Tomas, I wrote for Tomas, you know, that's because I knew, you know. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, if you're watching on YouTube, everybody, I'm sharing a couple of the preview pages that Bad Idea released today with the, the press release. You can see what Josh is talking about here with the, kind of the action and, and over the top. But then, you know, when you, you talk about Tomas's art and how he nails it with uh, the emotion in, in the faces and, and the, the uh, kind of the, uh, the action scenes, how kinetic they are. But then we get to uh, a quieter moment, like we were just talking about. I it, love yeah. this page. I mean, look at that. That is, I love this page. Look, look at the expression on her face. I mean, there's no dialogue here, obviously, but, but you know what's going on. You can read everything you need to know in those facial expressions. Gosh, it almost makes you want to not put dialogue on it, doesn't <laughs> it? God. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. Now, uh, Diego, yeah. Rodriguez, yeah, Diego Rodriguez does the colors. Yes. It's, uh, it's a little bit of a muted palette. And it very much suits kind of the tone of the story we're talking about here. Norse mythology, fantasy, mm -hmm. epic. Um, he does an amazing job. Yeah, it, it's absolutely incredible. <laughs> but I, I, and I will say this, however, um, and I would never second guess uh, Dinesh or Warren. The purples. Um, but, and I know Bad Idea is not going to collect any, or they said they weren't going to collect anything. Maybe now that they're ending, they will. Uh, but you know, we, you and I had talked about maybe going black and white for Tomas. Oh, well, I mean, I would love to see like an artist proof of this story, like a hardback in just black and white. Because if you, if you see if anybody, if you get a chance to see some of the black and white images, um, and maybe when it gets closer, um, it might be shared uh, by bad idea or whatnot, or maybe Josh can throw some of the stuff up on, on, uh, on Twitter, be sure you're following him. Um, yeah, I mean, the black and white pages are, are stunning. It, they're so good. The line work is amazing. And, and you know, maybe and Tomas, obviously, maybe he might post some stuff. I will say, I told you I wasn't going to post it, but then in my excitement, I got, I posted it today. You know, I did, I cut together uh, a, a fan trailer. I'm the fan, <laughs> cut it together. I cut together a fan trailer. It's not official promotion, but we, I did that as the art was still coming in. And you can, you can see that there are low grade tiffs that I cut with. I was just doing it for myself in my, in my own time. And, um, but it does give you a little bit of a sense of what Tomas's black and white art is like. And, um, uh, and, and, uh, I, I, I've already shared that at my Twitter. I can give it to you to put on this podcast or you, I think I already sent it to you or you can, or people can come to my Twitter and see it. I don't know how long I'll leave it up. It's, um, you know, it's, like I said, it's not for official promotion, but it is an opportunity to look at Tomas's art. Um, I'm not in love with my edit. I, there's a few things I could change, but. All right. So if you're, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, everybody, there's a, I'll put a link in the show notes Yeah. to that trailer. Maybe Josh has taken it out already. Maybe he hasn't. I have not. Maybe if you're listening to this in uh, July, he's taken it down. So oh, that's right. Go, go to the show notes, click on the link, and maybe you'll get to see something cool. If not, I'm sorry. I apologize. Blame Josh. Or maybe it'll be a better edit. Or maybe, maybe, yeah. I'll, maybe, maybe I'll find time to recut it. Yeah. And then uh, I'll get the new link and put it in the show. Yeah. Notes. And I'll keep it the black and white stuff because um, – yeah. 
you know, the, I, I, yeah, because it's not official promotion or anything. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um, so I can't, I, I mean, I can't wait to read this. Um, and I'm going to read it all with, with you all bad idea. doesn't do like press previews or anything like that. So unless I can steal Dinesh's phone, I'll be enjoying it with, with all of you and we'll cover it on bad idea takeover Sundays as always. Um, so, so best of luck with it, Josh. I, I really can't wait to, to get my hands on it. Um, but let's talk a little bit about bad idea itself. I mean, I know, uh, and we talked about this at dinner the other night, you don't know much about like the marketing and, and all that. Right. You're going to get very a little from me. Yeah. I'm going to, I would like if Josh Johns or Dinesh is watching this, I'm going to do my best and they're going to get very little from me. I no, I'm not. I'm, what, what I want to know about, <laughs> what I want to know about is, okay, Valiant's done. You're not doing any stuff over there, you know, in terms of, of the people that you worked with over there, you know, Dinesh right? is gone, Warren is gone. Yeah. Um, and and sort of valiant as we know it is 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 pivoted, mm-hmm. um, and so then they, what Dinesh picks up the phone and calls you and says, "Hey, I got this crazy idea. Uh, we we all love making comics together. Do you want to come and make more comics? Like, how did you find out about it? And what was your thought when they said, "Yeah, we're gonna just as many pages as you need, and you know, one per person, and and that like, how much did you know? What were your thoughts? How were you approached?" It is not however many pages you need. Well, uh, I, I definitely reason. pushed it. I pushed it. Reason. I pushed it. Um, you, can't, you can't make that 1200 page comic yet, Josh. Not I know. Yet. Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, I, I uh, well, you know, look, I'm going to censor myself a little bit on this. I don't know how much of this needs to be in the public record, but, you know, look, uh, Dinesh and I and Warren and I, we're not just, um, you know, we're not just like a professional colleagues, you know, I'm, I'm friends with them. So there was a period where uh, Dinesh was out at Valiant and he and I were meeting and hanging out and going to dinner and going to the bar and, and just shooting the shit and not working together. So it, it's, I mean, we were always working together, but not in comics. I mean, we're right. always talking about pitches and story ideas to each other and what could happen. And over, you know, when he was kind of, discussing things about, you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious if you're friends with Dinesh that um, uh, the movie and TV space is, is interesting, but the comic book space is where his heart lies. And that's really what he wants to do is make comics. So it's only a matter of time before Dinesh starts making comics again. I mean, it's in his nature, you know, so, so, um, you know, so we were always talking about it and always seeing what was going to go on. But Dinesh is also good, even though I consider myself a friend. He's also really good at like um, keeping his cards close to his chest, yeah, right? Yes. As is Warren. Uh, Warren thinks he's like a Roman senator or something like playing, <laughs> playing that's why games. I think he's, that's why he thinks he's so good at poker. And he is a pretty yeah. good poker player. <laughs> But he's not as good. I'm sure he'll listen to this. Yes, I'm going on record as saying you're not as good as you think you are. (laughs) I'm just saying that you're good. You're good. You're probably better than me. Maybe not quite as good as you think you are, buddy. But (laughs) that's really funny. I I interrupted. Sorry. Oh shit! What were you saying? Oh yeah. So basically, I knew something was coming, and I knew that I was going to be a part of it. I mean, Dinesh and Warren, they don't really have to. You know, they don't have to sell me too hard on it. I mean, we just, uh, I, I really like working with people that I like. And I like working with people who put up with me. That's always a good thing. Uh, I'm not always the easiest to work with. So, you know, I, it's just, it's like family. You know, you gotta, you gotta, if family's gonna throw a Christmas party, you gotta come to Christmas. So that's what bad idea is. 
it's family. It's yeah. coming to, yeah, it's Christmas. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. yeah. Like we said, you didn't know much about the marketing stuff, but it sounded like from what you were saying earlier, I mean, you said, you just love it. Like it's crazy and it's wild and it gets people talking about it. And Hey, you got, you got to do something to stand out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, it, this is not in my nature. This is why I'm not going to talk about any of that stuff because it's not in my nature. You know, when uh, <clears throat> Josh Johns and I, it's so stupid now, but when Josh Johns and I, uh, I was in a pretty fragile place though. When Josh Johns first like approached me to make a video for them or something, I had like a, I had like a fucking anxiety attack <laughs> about the way they wanted to do things. So it's, you know, um, it's not in my nature to be uh, quite so like bullish right. on the marketing front. Uh, but I actually, I think Josh is a genius. And I actually think that, you know, Hunter's a genius and Adam's a genius. And uh, I think they did crazy. I think they're as, as responsible for the success at Valiant as the creators are and as editorial is. And, um, uh, you know, and Valiant was a success by any measure. You know, the amount of money that was invested to get it up and running versus the amount of money that the people walked away with at the end is you know, if, yeah. if capitalism is our measurement, then yeah, that's, exactly. yeah. so, um, you know, and so I, I, I appreciate what they're doing. I do. I'm not, I could never participate in it. I could never be, there's a bit of a hucksterism that is right. sort of, you know, we all love PT Barnum, but we can't all be PT Barnum. So. Yeah, exactly. The, so the other part of it, you know, and I've, I've talked to, I've talked to Rob and I've talked to, to Matt and they kind of echoed your sentiments of, Man, it's just great to make comics that you you're passionate about and you love yeah. and getting to make them with your your friends. They both uh, expressed kind of um, uh, a sentiment that they, you know, we didn't get any cons last year, you know. Yeah. And even yeah. though you you know you're not working directly, you know, you and Rob aren't co-writing something. You're not co-writing something with Matt. You know, Matt and Rob aren't necessarily co-writing some, something together. But when these conventions happen, you guys get get to get together. Yes. Um, that it's a really fertile ground for ideas. Have, have you missed that as well? Not being able to hang out with those guys. Yes. Yes. I, 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 I love Matt Kent. Uh, you know, I love him. I, I love his family. I love his daughter. I love his wife. I love Rob, you know? Um, uh, so these are, you know, I love Louis LaRosa. I love these guys, you know? So I, um, the idea that it's not a shared universe. We don't get to do the writer's rooms, which were, you know, uh, I, I was often, uh, I, I was both productive in the writer's room and also disruptive in the writer's room, but I love them. And, um, and hung over maybe a few times. And so, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, they fly you to New York and, you know, I don't know what to say, but, um, so, uh, you know, I will miss that because we don't get to create together anymore. And that was really exciting, but it will be so good to, be in the same place as, as Matt and Rob and everybody else. And, you know, that's, that's good times. And, you know, Matt had come out here. I live in Los Angeles. Matt had come out here a few times for work and I, I got to see him and Rob has come out here and I saw him and I went to, I went to, this was before pandemic, but, you know, after Valiant, uh, I went to um, Rob's cabin in the Georgia woods for the solar eclipse uh, a few years ago. And, you know, so any excuse to be with these guys. And if, and, and this is the thing, like, I, I never really felt like comics was a career. It obviously was, and it's been how I've been making my living. It's obviously a real business and, and uh, people probably get offended when I say that I never treated it that way, but I always just kind of looked at it as a way to hang out with just really cool people and make something, you know, and, uh, 
and that probably explains why my career is the way it is, <laughs> but that's just how I looked at it. Well, the other, the other side of these cons is that you get to see the, the, you get to meet the fan. I mean, there's a, the hardcore group that, you know, you always see. Yeah. They're readers. Fans. I actually don't yeah. really like the word fan. <laughs> they're readers. They're, you know, yeah. Fan is like a power dynamic. I don't dig it. Fair, fair enough. The, the readers, <laughs> the people that are, the people that are experiencing your work. Yeah. The ones that you've come to know personally and, and others that yeah. you know, when you're doing, uh, a signing and that's that's a way and, and then you know comics is a little different now with social media you, you can get you know a little more feedback as opposed to you know years past um and and still 12 year old me kind of freaks out sometimes when i reach out to a creator and they yeah you know, a little different now that i'm I'm pressed and i have a little more access but yeah i mean i wouldn't have ever thought that i could send a, a you know hey let me just send a, this quick message this quick text message written message to a, a creator i i like and you know get it get their response um and so that's been something you've missed as well, like being able to interact with with readers and, and people that have enjoyed. Yeah, of course, uh, uh, of course, of course. It's like, um, you know, I've that first experience for me because you know my first ongoing was Swamp Thing, and and at the time that people have said a lot of nice things lately, but uh, at the time that was not very well received, right. and I didn't really have a community be built up around that, and then. Um, after that was unknown soldier and that did start that was my first time i started to meet people that uh were in, really engaged with the work sought me out and that was really really fun but there's nothing really comparable to the valiant the days is in that regard you know right. the um the valiant readers were like uh super engaged super present showed up all the time they were, uh, you know, they, they were definitely like a certain kind of person reads unknown soldier, a lot of different kinds of people read Valiant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was a lot of different kinds of people, uh, which was pretty fascinating. And, um, uh, and yeah, and I, yeah, I do miss that. I miss, you know, it's a bit of an, you know, it's like, you try not to let it be like too much of an ego stroke and you try to make, put everyone in equal footing. That's why the word fan makes me uncomfortable. Right. But, um, but I, yeah, I just, I just, yeah, I just like people, you know, in, in those conventions, I have a little bit of some social anxiety. So I need, um, like when I hang out with a bunch of pros that I don't know, like if it's not Matt or if it's not Jeff Lemire or somebody that I'm, I'm friends with, I have a lot of social anxiety. So I, I like that there's a, there's a reason for us to all be authentic with each other. Right. And I don't have to, if my social anxiety doesn't flare up. Sometimes I'm in a room with like a lot of, um, big name creators and I you know I just sit in a corner and stare at my feet <laughs> yeah, you gotta, gotta get over it. they're just people man just I know I know I know people, you, people ask it's hard me, to yeah people ask me that too like don't you get you know nervous talking to these people I'm like they're just people man they're just people we're all yeah we're all more alike than different way more you alike. know I'm never nervous when we start talking I'm just nervous before we start before talking. yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, I get that too. I get that too because I'm I'm an introvert by nature, which is crazy considering that I do this, you know. But there, are, yeah. Especially when I was starting out, I would go for the liquid courage first. Yes, sure yes. You know what? I think uh, I'm learning this as I get older. I feel like I'm uh, uh, that I too am an introvert, but that I had used like, um, I had used like ego and false bravado to convince myself that I was an extrovert, right? Because that seemed to be the way that you did shit was you were extroverted. Um, and so now, I, yeah, so, but I feel like that's a very late in life realization I've had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you know, keep learning, keep growing. Yeah. Yeah. Man, exactly. 
you don't want to don't ever stop. Well, uh, I'm very curious, you know, t- talking about readers and talking about, you know, engagement, whether it was Swamp Thing or Unknown Soldier or certainly Valiant, you know, the, the, the readers, the Valiant people are, are so, um, so invested and so engaged and care so much. So I'm very curious what audience is going to show up for. Man, I have um, no idea for Bad Idea. And it's, yeah. it's going to be really interesting because, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I believe I can, I believe that I can bring, you know, I have a lot of real authentic friends. Uh, you're a friend, Jay, you know, that I met like by, by doing this Valiant stuff. And I think they'll come around uh, just because even they don't even have to buy the comic. They can just right. come to the shows and say hi, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't really care about the, I mean, I, you know, um, but, uh, but the new reader, that's going to be super interesting. Um, I'm very curious as to like, what is, because in a real, really weird kind of weird social experimenting way, a, a marketing, um, a marketing strategy is revealed in the readers that like come into it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like the, the, it's not super revealing to have Matt's readers and my readers and Rob reader, Rob's readers and Christos Gage's readers um, show up for us. I mean, that's super cool. And I really appreciate it, but it's not going to illuminate a lot about the marketing strategy, except that they got the word out. The real illumination of a marketing strategy is when new readers came. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's going to be super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Who who, who responded? Who's on board for uh, a weekly epic? Yeah. Norse from the imagination of Josh Dysart. That, that, and what's that dialogue going to be like when they start talking about the works amongst themselves like it's it's great when you get feedback but i always love when they're talking about it amongst themselves because that's where you really kind of see it unfiltered yeah because people can talk shit when i'm not in the room and that's the you know and that's the real deal but um they, they will let be less likely although there's a few valiant readers that are happy to talk shit when you see your face yeah but exactly. um um so yeah I, I i totally agree and honestly that's really the book doesn't live until it's read you yeah. know that's that's just all there is to it yeah and by the way when we're talking about valiant readers that'll talk shit to your face yes rucker we're referring to you <laughs> i like rucker <laughs> i love rucker but he'll be the first one to say that he he pulls no punches yeah but that's what i love about him so <laughs> uh well josh it's been great catching up man thanks so much for taking the time um there's going to be a link to Josh's Twitter uh, in the show notes, everybody. So go click there, follow him. You'll know when he has uh, Odin's eye finally dropping. If you want to ask him questions about process and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'll also put a link to the, the YouTube video that he was referring to. So you can go check it out. Uh, keep, please keep in mind rough cut. No, no. Yeah, that's right. Unless I, unless I recut it, but I'm pretty lazy, yeah. but I would like to recut it. I'm not 100% happy with it, but it, I do think it'll turn people onto the book. I mean, I think it gets people excited. When they, yeah. And I, yeah. I, I particularly love the, the, uh, the music you put to it. Cause that's what really helps to sell that kind of Western feel. Yes. Yes. Although Anna von Hauswolf, I highly recommend if, if you guys like, like, um, epic witchy, big bold music she's awesome she has yeah. a lot of power a lot of feminine power it's awesome uh yeah. anything else you have coming up or anything else that's on stands right now you want to tease so there's nothing on the stands i haven't dropped a, a, a published work since 2018 uh, um but i don't know exactly when and it's looking like it might be early 2022 but i do have a, a novella coming out it's my first work of prose 
I'm really proud of it. Uh, it's called Brood. I think Brood X is a cooler thing to say, but it's actually Brood 10. It's the Roman numeral 10. And um, I'm just happy with it. It's a horror thriller uh, story. And uh, I like to call it cicada exploitation horror. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, I'm really yeah excited about it. And that's uh, there's a lot going on, but I think those are the only two things I can announce right now. Fair enough. All right, uh, everybody, uh, go give Josh a follow and don't forget to wish him happy birthday. It's his birthday. It's my birthday. It's his birthday today as this is released. <laughs> so record a little video of yourself singing happy birthday to Josh. Oh my God, you don't have to do that. Put it up That's on cool. Twitter. It's <laughs> cool. I'll be busy on that day anyway. So Fantastic. Well, uh, Josh, always great to talk to you, man. It was good to see you uh, when we had dinner. Hopefully we can do it again. Yeah. Soon. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, and, and to you listeners, uh, thanks for joining us for uh, Comic Source Bad Idea Takeover. As always, really appreciate you listening and for all your support. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.